Thank you for the special music today, in addition to helping lead songs. Every time Janet's in town, I know that we are going to be blessed with another great musician in our worship services, so thank you, Janet. And I know that she doesn't like heat, so uh, she might be up a lot more often as summer comes, right? Um, if jo- if uh, Joyce will turn her air conditioning on, at least, because she lives in the South. So anyways, we're going to be turning to Romans, uh, John chapter 19, not Romans, John. We're taking a break from Romans this week in order to honor Mother's Day. And I want to thank the children and certainly our children's pastors, uh, children's pastor Carl, as well as Lisa and all his helpers, working with the children as they do every year on that presentation they gave uh, for Mother's Day. And anyways, allow me to once again say happy Mother's Day to all of you. And we want to take a break from Romans today in order to talk about a passage honoring mothers. And we're going to see a passage where Jesus honored his mother while he was on the cross. And uh, I know that for many, Mother's Day sometimes is bittersweet. Sometimes it's also a sad day. Uh, For some, you couldn't have children. For some, maybe your mother has passed on. And so I want to recognize that right now. And I also want to recognize that sometimes, in addition to our own biological children, uh, people are maternal influences through teaching or through coaching or through youth ministry or children's ministry or Sunday school teaching and all those other things. And, And they should be honored as well. Something I read, uh, written by, I think, Chuck Swindoll. What is a mother? Somewhere between the youthful energy of a teenager and the golden years of a woman's life, there lives a marvelous and loving person known as mother. A mother is a curious mixture of patience, kindness, understanding, discipline, industriousness, purity, and love. A mother can be at one and the same time both love-lorn counselor to a heart-sick daughter and head football coach to an athletic son. A mother can sew the tiniest stitch in the material for that dainty prom dress, and she's equally experienced in threading through the heaviest traffic in a station wagon. Probably station wagon when this was written. Maybe it's minivan or SUV today's day and age. A mother is the only creature on earth who can cry when she's happy, laugh when she's heartbroken, and work when she's feeling ill. A mother is as gentle as a lamb and as strong as a giant. Only a mother can appear so weak and helpless and yet be the same one who puts the fruit cover on so tightly even dad can't get it off. A mother's a picture of helplessness when dad is near and a marvel of resourcefulness when she's all alone. A mother has the angelic voice of a member in the celestial choir as she sings Brahms lullaby to a babe held tight in her arms. Yet this same voice can dwarf the sounds of an amplifier when she calls her boys in for supper. Of course, that was maybe a different day. Now it's time to quit playing video games, supper time. you got to yell over the video games now. Hopefully not. But anyways, a mother has a fascinating ability to be almost everywhere at once, and she alone can somehow squeeze an enormous amount of living into an average day. A mother is old-fashioned to her teenager, just mom to her third grader, and similarly mama to the little two-year-old sister. But there's no greater thrill in life than to point to that wonderful woman and be able to say to all the world, that's my mother. And that's true, even for adults. 
This is a football player. His name's Deion Sanders. Everybody has a different opinion about him uh, because they used to call him prime time, and he always liked to entertain, and sometimes for bad, sometimes for good, and sometimes differing things. And, you know, um, I used to say he couldn't tackle because watching him, he would go for the person he needed to tackle and move away or something. And in his Hall of Fame speech, when he was inducted in the Hall of Fame, he said, people say I couldn't tackle. That's not true. He said, I tackled every one of my mama's bills. <laughs> so there's an example of an adult still talking about taking care of his mother. There's always something about mothers. Really, there is. There is always, even as we study history, we see there's a special place for mothers. Times can change and times do change. But people always need a mother and love their mother. I'm just reminded just now of a long, long, long but marvelous book by Ron Chernow about George Washington. I read it a few years ago and, and kind of listened to it as a Kindle with audible narration. And even as he was president, we never think about his mother. But even as he was president, or right before he was president at least, his mother was still alive. And they would go back and forth in letters, and he was constantly caring and trying to take care of his mother's needs. But a sad expression, of course, is the need for mothers when we hear of, and I've heard their true stories, of veterans on the battlefield, soldiers on the battlefield, crying out for their mother. A mother's voice is the one you long to hear. As a more humorous example, several years ago, Mercedes was about 18 months old, and she went to an in-home daycare center. Later on, she, Megan was still working uh, at that time, uh, part-time. And so two days a week and then five half days, Mercedes went to an in-home daycare center. And Mercedes was very, very, very active, uh, still is. In fact, one day we dropped her off. And the lady, really, really wonderful lady named Ann said, I've got uh, 12 kids today or something like that. And then Mercedes is like five in and of herself. And then she caught herself and said, oh, but I love her. I love her. You know, whatever. Well, anyways, one day Megan and I went together to pick up Mercedes. And Mercedes ran right to Megan, right past me, right to Megan, you know, oblivious to me. And she loves her mom and certainly rightfully so. They both do, Mercedes and Abigail. You know, we're in a society today that has really compromised the family, strongly compromised the family. Do you realize that the family was God's first institution? In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, God set up the family. The family was the first civil institution, institution of civilization. And there's a principle um, that I might be able to think of the term here in a minute, but basically it means that the smallest, the, the, the institutions closest to home, those closest at home are able to best be equipped to handle the things at home, okay? So a family, a mom and a dad and a family are most equipped by God's design and just reasonableness, you know, to handle the family, mom and dad with the kids. And our, our, our culture is compromising the family. Remember, God set up the family. And certainly starts with mom and dad. And, and many, many times, dads, we're not there. We need to step up. And then moms are always there. They're always there. And there's that bond that God has created between a mother and the children. So in the Bible, we do also see the idea of taking care of our mothers. Certainly in the Old Testament, we see the commandment to honor your father and your mother, right? Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Exodus 20, verse 12 says to honor your, your father and your mother that you may live long in the land. In fact, the point is there that no civilization can exist if they do not have honor 
for their mother and their father and for their elders. And that's a principle that God was having Moses teach the people. Honor your father and your mother that you may live long in the land. But then we also see this passage, which we're going to look at today, John chapter 19, if you want to turn there and you haven't yet. John chapter 19, verses 26 through 27, in which Jesus takes care of his mother's needs. And I'm going to invite you, please turn in your Bibles while I get a, a little drink of water. John 19, 26 and 27. So please uh, turn there in your Bibles or in your phones, and maybe some of you are reading the text from the sermon when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. And I, I'm gonna, I'm, I've got my Bible open, not just my notes. And I'm going to go to a few verses before that passage. And I want to start reading at verse 24. And it picks up mid-sense. It says, So they said to one another, Let us not tear it. This is Jesus' garments. It's the soldiers who, you know, took, took his garments. Let us not tear it, but let us cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This is when Jesus was on the cross. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. Now this is verse 25. Listen to this. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother, and there's one man listed, the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. So let's talk about this passage for just a moment. In this passage, Jesus is on the cross. He's been beaten beyond recognition, and now he's hanging on the cross. He's dying on the cross. Jesus is probably gasping for air and struggling to breathe, yet he makes this statement. You know, and I, I wonder what it was like for his mother. Remember, these people in the Bible were real people with real emotions. Jesus, fully God and fully man. Jesus had emotions, certainly. Jesus still has emotions. Mary, the mother of Jesus, certainly would have had emotions. Standing right there at the foot of the cross, looking likely eye to eye at Jesus. What was this like for her to see her son on the cross? And this fulfilled Simeon's prophecy. In Luke chapter 2, we have the birth of Jesus, right? It's an exciting time, the birth of Jesus. And, you know, we talk about that at Christmas time. The angels visit, you know, the shepherds. The shepherds are out in their fields, and the shepherds go and see Jesus, and they worship him. And, of course, in Matthew chapter 2, the magi, the wise men, go and worship Jesus. And then after that, in Luke chapter 2, Mary and Joseph have to present Jesus at the temple. And they had to offer sacrifices. And as they enter the temple, they see a man. Simeon. And Simeon gives this prophecy. In Luke chapter 2, verse 35, Simeon gives this prophecy. And, and I'm picking up mid-sentence, and it says, and a sword, this is part of the prophecy upon Jesus and Mary. And he says, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. That's to Mary. He says to Mary, the mother of Jesus, who was likely 14 years old at that time. And he says to her, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. 
so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Mary, you know, a woman who certainly should be honored as, you know, privileged to be the mother, the mother of our Lord. And certainly an honor and a privilege. And she's taken Jesus into the temple. She's probably glowing with excitement at this point. And part of the prophecy of Simeon was certainly encouraging. This part doesn't sound that encouraging, does it? And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And it seems like Jesus on the cross right now, this is fulfilling that prophecy. It's that prophecy fulfilled, you know, when Jesus is crucified for her sins as well as all of ours. So here he is, naked, beaten, dying. The boy that she raised, he's 33 years old. Uh, Jesus, I put in my notes, looks down on her, and that, that, that's really wrong because my, my notes are not inspired, just so you know. That part's wrong. It should say, Jesus looked over at her. <laughs> we always picture, and I think it's because of old paintings that did this, we always picture Jesus and those crucified up on the cross, like 20 feet above you. You know, you look up. That's not how they did it. The Romans knew how to torture people. The Romans wanted to make a statement. The Romans crucified people on main thoroughfares. I've said that before. And it's likely Jesus is right at eye level. They wanted you to be able to look in their eyes. So here he is, right at eye level. And Jesus looks right at her, right at his mother. What was that like for him to see his mother? Was she grieving? Was she crying? She had to have been crying. She had to have been grieving. How did that make Jesus feel? Jesus had emotions. You know, Jesus could have stayed silent. He, he knew, I'm sure he knew he was going to die soon. They could live for days on the cross, but I, I know Jesus would have known, you know, in fulfilling the prophecies that not a bone would be broken, that he wasn't going to live that long. And usually when you were crucified, I shouldn't say usually, I've never been crucified, but from what I've read, and, and I don't plan on it either, but from what I've read, they didn't bleed to death, they suffocated to death. With each breath of air, they had to take in the air, and they're beaten. All of the Romans would beat the people before they were crucified. So their back is, you know, torn up. The flesh is torn. The passion of the Christ was tame. You know, a lot of people died in the beating before they were crucified. And with each breath, it was more agony. It was more pain because they had to move. They had to try to move their body to get the air in, you know. And it would have been easier for Jesus to be silent. He wasn't, though. He looks out on his mother, and he makes this statement. Jesus did feel the need to provide for her. He saw the disciple whom he loved, whom he loved that's likely John, though Dr. Witherington at Asbury Theological Seminary makes a case for Lazarus, but I'm going to go with John. That's usually the traditional understanding. He sees the disciple whom he loved, likely John, and he gives a command. He gives a command. Woman, which was a respectful way. That was a respectful way to address your mother back then. Woman, woman, behold your son. Then he says to the disciple, behold your mother. There was no arguing. This disciple, it says this disciple took care of Jesus' mother. Notice that there are four women at the cross. If you look at the previous verse and you look at the other Gospels, we see that there were four women at the foot of the cross. And one of them is likely the beloved disciple's mother, and the beloved disciple is likely Jesus' cousin. John is likely Jesus' cousin. It says his mother's sister is there, possibly Salome, who was the mother of James and John. Then it says the wife of Cleopas, uh, Cleophas, and some translations spell it Cleophas, uh, Mary, the wife of Cleophas. And this was possibly Mary's sister-in-law. So it looks like you have 
have family there, you know, an aunt and cousins, you know, and people there. And then you have the outsider. You have the outsider, Mary Magdalene, or Mary from Magdala. Mary from Magdala. And Christ had actually cast out seven demons from Mary of Magdala. And so here she is at the foot of the, at the, foot of the cross with the family. And if you notice it, um, the beloved disciple was the only disciple that was there. Men have no market on courage right here. It's the beloved disciple is the only. The rest had fled. Now, Peter was later repentant. I'm sure the rest of them were repentant. He's the only one there. The women are there. Jesus, is bro Jesus had brothers and sisters. They're not there. In fact, there's other scriptures which you could look up or I could give you later where they seem to kind of take Jesus, want, want to hide Jesus, take him away. They really didn't believe all this stuff. Now, they did eventually get saved. We know Jude is Jesus' brother, wrote Jude. Uh, Jesus' brother James became the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. So later on, we know that they became believers. And, and I just picture things in my human way. And imagine, you know, Jesus' brothers and sisters arguing with him as kids. And we know that Jesus never, ever, ever sinned. So he probably would have never said, hey, I can top whatever you're going to do because I'm going to save the whole world. You know, so maybe there was some bickering. I mean, you can't really top what Jesus did, you know, fully God and fully man. And we know that as an adult, as he was teaching, the brothers and sisters really did not believe yet. We do know that they did come to believe, but here they are. They're, they're not at the foot of the cross. They're not there. And, and Jesus is omniscient. He's fully God. He could know that his brother James is going to suffer persecution and even martyrdom, AD 62, he died as a, he died, Josephus records in AD 62, he was stoned to death. So Jesus likely knew, would have known what was going to happen to his brothers and sisters. Jude became a disciple, you know, possibly was persecuted or martyred, you know. And Jesus might have known the beloved disciple, if it was John, which we think it is, he lived very old. He was the only disciple to live really old. The Romans tried to kill him, and they couldn't kill him, so they exiled him to the island Patmos, where he has this great revelation, John the Revealer, and writes Revelation. And so Jesus cares for his mother. Here he is on the cross suffering and cares for his mother by giving John, John, the duty of taking care of his mother. And I don't want you to miss, I'm going to go to applications here in just a second, but I don't want you to miss how amazing it is that Jesus is one of the, he, he, they call it the seven words on the cross. And one of those seven last statements on the cross was to provide for his mother. And I, and, I, and I believe strongly we can take that to mean, hey, we need to provide for our mothers. We need to provide for our children's mothers. We need, to, we need to be caregivers for other people. We could indirectly apply that to taking care of for, uh, those who do not have a, someone like John. Mary wasn't John's mother, and, Jesus, and, and John took care of her. Taking care of your mother, Jesus makes sure that his mother's needs are provided for. So we also must provide for the needs of others. And um, I want to give tribute to my parents right now as an illustration, really, that my dad's dad died when my dad's dad was 55 years old. I think I was like three years old or four. And my dad was probably 32 or so. My dad's parents were physically and verbally and emotionally abusive to him as a child. And so he moved out of the house at 16 years old. And his brother and sisters ran away from home and had encounters with the law and other things. And, um, and so we lived close and we stayed close. And even after my dad's father died, 
I remember many, many, many weekends trying to spend time with my dad as he was taking care of his mother's needs. I remember sitting in the basement of his mother's house as he did the plumbing, all the plumbing of that house. He redid it because he got tired of fixing a pipe here and a pipe there. So he just did it all, all the plumbing again. As I remember being with him on a Friday night. I was probably five or six years old as he redid the flooring in a section that the refrigerator is falling through the floor. And that wouldn't be too exciting. So he replaced the flooring there. I remember watching him cut the grass many times. And then later on, when she was about 64, 65, she needed a hip replacement. And so my mom and my grandma mother at that point did not have the best relationship. They had an okay relationship, but not the best. And through the hip replacement, though, my grandmother moved in with us for a time. And it was great because my mother and my grandmother were able to grow way, 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 way closer during that time. A few years later, my grandmother, my dad's mother, still the same grandmother, had to have heart surgery, open heart surgery. And uh, so my parents talked to us about it, said grandma's going to stay with us for a while after that. And in fact, anytime there was a big snowstorm or it was super hot, she would stay with us anyways. Bless you. And um, so she stayed, she was going to stay with us after the open heart surgery. She was 66 or so at that point. And she had the open heart surgery. They said there's warnings of, you know, a blood clot right after, especially in the first 48 hours. She made it through the first 48 hours. And then there was a problem. Uh, she needed a, a, um, Pacemaker. She made it through that and made it through other problems. And then eventually, the night before she was supposed to come home, she did have a blood clot. And she passed away that night. And that was the only time, the only time that I saw my dad cry in front of me. As he was driving me to work, I was 16 years old, almost 17. He's driving me to work and he said, you know, through everything that, that have, has gone on the last few years, I know that my mom was sorry and had remorse for all the things that happened when we were children. And this death has been very hard on me. But it was a model example and a testimonial example in parenting of seeing him take care of his mother. And I know that you have many stories like that, of caring for your mother, your grandmother, or your, your children's mother, or other people, and, and that is just awesome. You know, we also all have stories of all that our mothers have done for us, right? We might have stories of things happening at school when your mother was there and we all need to honor our mother. We all need to realize the example that Jesus gave right here in his dying moments and suffering and agony on the cross of caring for his mother. Now, if Jesus made sure that his mother was provided for right there as he was dying on the cross, none of us have an excuse. The following is a list of IOUs, which apply to mothers all over the country, all of which are long overdue. Stop after each one. I'm going to read them fast. You can stop over after each one later on and consider the priceless value of the one who made your life possible, your mother. Dear Mom, as I walk through my Museum of Memories, Museum of Memories, I owe you for your time day and night. I owe you for your example, consistent and dependable. I owe you for your support, stimulating and challenging. I owe you for your humor, sparky and quick. I owe you for your counsel, wise and quiet. I owe you for your humility, genuine and gracious. I owe you for your hospitality, smiling and warm. I owe you for your insight, keen and honest. I owe you for your flexibility, patient and joyful. I owe you for your sacrifices, numerous and quickly forgotten. I owe you for your faith, solid and sure. I owe you for your hope, ceaseless and indestructible. I owe you for your love, devoted and deep. 
A cartoon shows a three-year-old freckle-faced boy in a hallway. His pajamas are unsnapped, his diaper's bagging, and he's got a little teddy bear dangling in his hand. He's standing in front of his mother and father's bedroom door, which is shut. On the door is a sign written by a weary mother, closed for business, motherhood out of order. And as uh, some of the children in their tribute said, I don't know who said it, I forget. My mother doesn't sleep enough or something like that, you know, Leslie's daughter or son. You know, many of us have probably wanted, many of you mothers, I should say mothers, have wanted to say, close for business. Motherhood out of order. Leave a message at the beep and we'll get back to you later on, right? I have heard a mother's work is never done and Jesus instructs us right here to take care of our mother. We have this instruction and the idea that Jesus made sure his mother was taken care of. So I hope that you mothers out there are being thanked today and being honored. I hope that others, maybe who maybe were not biological mothers of certain people, but maybe filled a maternal role, will be thanked and honored today. I hope that you will give tribute to your mother or your children's mother today, and also to grandmothers. And I also want to say, if it's a hard day, many of you, maybe even most of you, have had to say, see you later to your mother, as you will see them in heaven someday. And I know Mother's Day may bring back some grief. And if that's the case, I encourage you to pray, certainly. Talk about it with a loved one. I also encourage you, maybe journal, maybe even write a letter. What would you write to your mother today if you could? And maybe that would provide some support and some comfort. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we have this awesome example. It is awesome. It is awesome because here's Jesus on the cross dying for all of our sins. And he spends his dying moment, his dying moments, his last six hours, really, making sure his mother was provided for. And we see the example all through scriptures of mothers. One of the two people of the first institution, Father God, that you have set up for us. Lord God, I pray that mothers in our congregation today will be honored. Grandmothers will be honored. Maternal influences will be honored. For those that maybe were never biological mothers will be encouraged because they likely served in a maternal role for many others through teaching, coaching, helping out nieces, nephews, or others. Youth ministry, children's ministry, and so on and so on and so on. May they be honored today. And may we follow your example, Jesus, in making sure our mothers are taken care of. Making sure our children's mothers are taken care of. And we thank you, Lord. May we, as Christians, shine as light in a dark, dark world. A dark, dark world that is compromising the family. And may we remember the sanctity, really the sanctity of all life and the sanctity of the family. That the family is an institution sanctified, set apart for your purposes. Starting with mom and dad. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I invite the praise team up for the closing song.